Another of our most popular shows of 2018 featured Barbara Ehrenreich. She's one of our heroes, the author of more than a dozen books, including the unforgettable Nickel and Dimed. Now she's got a new book out, a bestseller, and it's terrific. It's called Natural Causes, An Epidemic of Wellness, The Certainty of Dying, and Killing Ourselves to Live Longer. Barbara, welcome back. Well, it's good to be with you again. Well, there are lots of books about successful aging. What a great phrase. One of them that you read says, I quote, Heart attacks, strokes, the common cancers, diabetes, most falls and fractures are not a normal part of growing old. They are an outrage, close quote. Who is responsible for this outrage? The answer, these people said, was you. You are responsible entirely for any inconveniences and disabilities that arise with age because they can all be stopped if you do the right things and live the right way. Your title refers to an epidemic of wellness, and June 9th is Global Wellness Day. The slogan is, one day can change your whole life. On Global Wellness Day, it says at their website, you should go to sleep at 10 p.m. Before that, walk for an hour, drink more water, have dinner with your family, do a good deed, and don't use plastic bottles. Well, 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 do you have any comment? Well, you know, there is a global wellness industry selling the advice of gurus, every kind of product that the gurus can recommend, which is constantly changing. And with lots of conferences and events, practitioners, you can find local wellness practitioners in any community affluent enough to support them. This is a very upper-class pursuit. You know, if you're an ordinary American worker and your company introduces a wellness program, that doesn't mean anything good. It means they're going to monitor mostly your weight. And if it's above a certain level, you'll be, you know, pressured to get it down. And if you get out of the wellness program, if you opt out, you pay a fine. Working-class people in America do seem to be more likely to be overweight. A lot of them smoke. They don't look healthy compared to the people you see in you know upper-class shopping streets where nobody is fat, nobody is smoking, and pretty much everybody looks fit and young and healthy. Why is this? Ah, oh, yes. In fact, I've noticed one thing about the rich is their, their skin glows. Yeah. My skin doesn't glow, probably yours doesn't, <laughs> but they not. actually glow. So, yes, we are developing into um, like a class bifurcated double species. Mm. And then they have their luxury wellness spas scattered around the world where you can indulge in day-long spa activities uh, that will, of course, make you glow. But don't you think working-class people should stop smoking and stop eating unhealthy food and start uh, working out? (laughs) Well, should? I'm not sure. I come from that class. I was raised uh, on a diet of, you know, gravy and pan drippings and butter on everything. And the smoke was, well, ubiquitous. Cigarette smoke was the scent of human habitation. Mm exercise, well, we could walk to get to the bus or walk to school, but there was no such thing as exercise without a purpose to it. So I come from that class, 
the deplorables class, mm. as Hillary Clinton calls them. So I, you know, I have deep roots there in all of those vices and participate in them in various ways. And I'm not judgmental about other people. I don't, you know, I'm, when I'm up with upper middle class friends, I will be criticized, for example, putting butter on my toast. Terrible. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm admitting it. That's what toast exists for, <laughs> to be a vehicle for butter. But, yes, there, there are class differences, but there are, these have some material basis. One is that um, gym membership costs money. Personal trainer causes, costs a whole lot of money. The health foods are likely uh, to be more expensive uh, than the kind of crappy foods you can get at a convenience store. And you don't have hours and hours of time uh, to devote to the care of your skin and your body and so forth. It's another, it's a different world, different assumptions. Smoking. Can I say something in defense of smoking? Please. Will this get you off the air in L.A.? I don't know. <laughs> Let's give it a but, try. I mean, I quote um, in, my, in my book, a, a working class woman, saying why exactly she smoked. Because it is, that's the working class form of self-care. Hmm. When you're, doing, you're running around, say, in a restaurant, and you, you have hardly any breaks, you do this thing, you light a cigarette, and that is what you're doing for yourself. The upper middle class should not be so judgmental. Well, one of the things that we are all told by a whole lot of nonprofit organizations is that early detection is the key to health, and uh, early detection can save our lives. So much of medicine now is about early detection. For example, uh, to take an example from your book, the bone density scan to prevent things like hip fractures that can lay you up for weeks, and if you're old, you can end up in a nursing home. You got a bone density scan. How did it go? Well, I was diagnosed with osteopenia, which perhaps sounds pretty scary, right? Yeah. Only about half women of the women over 50 have it. So that's not a disease. It's sort of a made-up disease, and partly made up in this case by Merck, the pharmaceutical company that manufactures a pill for it. I did, a, I did this research just by Googling around the time I had the bone density scan, and it did not seem like a good deal to me. The medications that are supposed to cure it have their own bad effects. One of them, ironically, being uh, in some women causing a tendency to more bone fractures. Mm. So the evidence is not good on that. And I, that's where, where I began to get really skeptical about everything, including mammograms, colonoscopies, and all those other sacred rituals uh, that we kind of expect, especially over 50. In your book, you say you have now given up annual physicals and cancer screenings. I thought the correct position was that we're in favor of preventive medical care because it's a way of reducing high-tech treatment for advanced diseases, treatments that are expensive and invasive. Isn't that true? Well, you have to look at the, you have to look at the research, like on mammograms. 
international comparisons show that countries that do lots and lots of mam- mammogram screenings do not have lower death rates from breast cancer than do com- uh, countries that do not. An individual can say, oh, it saved my life. We don't know that. Tumor might have gone away by itself. And there are also risks to finding out you have uh, some kind of detectable problem. And that is that then they start doing biopsies and other things that really are kind of undermining to your health. And this is not just my opinion. Doctors groups, uh, including um, finally the U.S. Proctological Association, uh, have begun to not recommend prostate cancer screening for men anymore. Because the, if it leads to surgery, uh, it may be destroying, the surgery may be taking out a, a tumor that was going to go, not going to grow anyway in the lifetime of that man. But in the meantime, you're leaving him with incontinence and uh, probably erectile dis- dysfunction. That's a high price to pay. So why so, why do you think there is so much screening and testing now? Could could somebody be making money off of this? John. <laughs> <laughs> One basic problem is we have a for-profit medical industry by and large in this country. They have a problem with well people. I'm a well person, you're probably a well person. Yes. They, and if, if you're over 65, you have insurance. And so what can they do? They can say, well, maybe we'll find a problem. You know, at least we have a market among the well people for all these screenings and tests. You could say that's one kind of motivation. Another is that there is a huge anxiety about dying in our society. I, I'm, I'm so surprised when I talk to my own friends, people of my own age and younger, they do not want to talk about this subject at all. They're terrified and see that these, these tests, even if they are empty rituals, as something that will ward off the, their eventual horror of dying. You have a lot of skepticism and a lot of good arguments against screening and testing, but, but what about Medicare for all? Aren't, don't we support Medicare for all? Oh, I sure do. Uh, and, I, and one thing that needs to be looked at here is the huge investment in people, elderly people, with over 65. We have Medicare for them right now, while other people, you know, get basically nothing. But we don't want to just necessarily generalize what goes on with Medicare. We should be examining this and say what procedures and interventions make sense. And I, I, I'm, I'm talking about a lot of things that don't make sense. Yeah. Like, like one of the things I'd say that seems to be, seems to be, I haven't done research on it, that makes sense is prenatal care for women. You know, and it's going to be young women who are, having, who are pregnant. Yes. But the maternal mortality is actually rising in the United States right now. While all this investment goes into relatively useless procedures for elderly people. Last question here, Barbara. You're not just a best-selling author of more than a dozen books with a lot of uh, opinions. You are also a trained scientist. What are your credentials? I have a Ph.D. in cellular immunology, which it turned out was crucial to this book and understanding why we die. So why aren't you teaching biology in a university? What, what happened? Well, you know, John, um, a lot of us got derailed by 
becoming political activists in the 60s and 70s. That's what derailed me. <laughs> okay. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I believe that the women's health movement had something to do with this in your case. Oh, yes. I was very active in the women's health movement starting at about 1970, around the same time as Our Bodies, Ourselves came out, the book. And, you know, it was the big wave of, of women getting active around these issues for many, many reasons. But one of which was that they didn't trust doctors. They didn't like the way childbirth was over-medicalized. We didn't like the way the doctors, who were 40 years ago, over 90% male, treated us. And I was part of that. Barbara Ehrenreich, her terrific new book is Natural Causes, An Epidemic of Wellness, The Certainty of Dying, and Killing Ourselves to Live Longer. Barbara, congratulations on the book, and thanks so much for talking with us today. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 